like you see that promise already. Thank you, God. We thank you, Lord. Lord, we thank you that we can trust you. God, I've proven you time and time again. I know I can trust you, God. Even when all hell is breaking loose, God, I've seen your hand move. Thank you for your peace, God. Come on, you can trust him today no matter what you see, no matter what you feel. All these songs today are about making a choice. We're confessing that I'm going to make the choice to praise anyway. Come on, it's all, it's all up to you. It's your choice. Praise or don't praise. But when we don't, life gets a whole lot more hard. Come on, let's say I count on one thing. Because I
choose to praise you. I choose to praise you, Lord. Come on, just tell them in your own words. Even when things are going wrong, even when your heart's heavy, I choose to praise you, Lord. Yes, I do. Even when you don't feel it at all times, at all times, Lord, I will choose to bless you, God. So I will bless the Lord. I will bless the Lord.
testing, testing, one, two, one, two. Yes, sir, thank you. Y'all, that, that song list today hit different. I'm not going to lie. That, that song list, if any of you joined on Wednesday to what I was teaching, or if any of you are involved with us at all, which I pray you are, you know, we've been talking about the waiting season. You know, we've been talking about the testing season. We've been talking about worshiping and praising and giving God honor even when we don't feel it. And what, what was every one of those songs about? God, we are going to worship you even when it doesn't make sense. God, we're going to worship you when our situation looks like it cannot be resolved, like there's no answer to this problem. God, we will worship you. And we've been talking about having a resolute heart set on the fact that no matter what we see, no matter what we're experiencing, no matter what we're feeling, y'all, because it's not a goosebump. Do we understand that? Our relationship with God does not rely on goosebumps and emotions, right? It's, 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 it's not a feeling, but it's a heart issue. And I don't know about y'all, but I needed that today. I, I needed to declare that over this church. I needed to declare that over this ministry, over you guys, that we will praise the Lord. All right, will you please bow your heads with me as we open with prayer? Lord God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for being with us. We thank you for being in our presence. We thank you that you never leave us by ourselves. That even in the seasons that don't make any sense whatsoever, you are by us. You are guiding us. That in this life, you guide our right hand and you welcome us into the next. So Holy Spirit, today I just pray that you would speak through me. I pray that you would guide everything that I say and everything that I do. Um, Lord, I just, I just pray you're with us today, that someone, even though this is going to be something majority of Christians have heard before, that maybe it'll just be a great reminder to spur them on, or that actually this would be something they've heard for the first time or in a different way. So Holy Spirit, just be with us today. Open our hearts, open our minds, speak through me as we enter into this time of word. In your mighty name we pray. Amen. Um, y'all, before we get into the word, I just want to say, y'all, this church has been through a lot in the past three months. There's been eight deaths in and affiliated with our church. COVID has been annoying as always, had to shut down. And y'all, we need to give each other special grace in the season. I'm serious. Now, I know some of us can be a little more staunch and stoic and very stern, but y'all, we have to give special grace to one another in this season. Many of you have lost loved ones in this season. We have lost pillars of this church in this season. We had to shut down for COVID, lost momentum, have people not coming back because they're afraid of the virus. Y'all, we're going through a hard time right now. We're going through a hard time. We have to have special grace for one another in the way we interact and respond to one another. I love you guys. I hope you guys know that. And I'm here for you guys. We're praying for you guys. I don't think anyone's going through a very prosperous, happy season right now. But we as a church are going through a hard time. We're going through a hard time. And Jason's laughing because no, neither am I. This is a hard season. This is a hard season, but we will choose to praise the Lord even in the hard season. Even in the waiting season, we will remain faithful according to his word and according to his purposes. Um, today, this is not what I had planned at all. And at about 11 o'clock last night, God rearranged my plans. For some reason, I had it in my mind that we were going we to cover the whole Sermon on the Mount in three weeks. I had that made up in my mind. And Jesus was like, are you serious? Like the Holy Spirit was speaking to me like, Really, my teachings don't deserve more than three weeks. And if we understand anything about the Sermon on the Mount, this is the first public teaching we have recorded. So Jesus is really laying it out. Who enjoyed the Beatitudes last week? Who has been pondering the Beatitudes this week? Y'all, I'm not joking. That sermon was for me, even if none of y'all got anything. That was for me. Because everything I've done this week, I've literally been checking my, my reactions and my responses and my heart based upon the eight Beatitudes. I've literally been analyzing myself all week. 
And if that's the beauty, if there's anything in the beauty of the teachings of Jesus, it's that he causes us to analyze ourselves. He causes us to observe ourselves, to make sure we are in right standing with the Father. So I call this session one. Um, and you know, we're, only, we're literally only going to cover four verses today. Um, this is a little bit different than what I've been teaching. I might sound like a commentary at some point. Um, but what we're covering is um, Matthew chapter 5, and I'll turn the slide in a minute. It's going to be Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16, and believers are salt and light. And we've heard that probably a million times. If you've been in the church for any amount of time, you've probably heard believers are salt and light. But we're going to look at what exactly does that mean today? What, what was the significance of being salt and being light in the time period of Jesus that may not correlate to our culture today? So if you guys would please stand with me as we read the word before we get into the word. If you please stand with me. And if you have your Bibles, you can read along with me. This is Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 13, going through verse 16. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Thank you. You may be seated. All right, so I made notes plain and simple today. There's literally one. We're, so we're splitting this small passage into three different sections. All right, three different sections. We're splitting this up. It's going to be easy to take notes. I think there's only six slides. I know some of you are like, Pastor Isai, you put way too much on there. I'm sorry. I just really want you all to be um, biblically literate Christians. I just want you guys to use your mind sometimes. Because often we come into church and we just sit. We just sit. And no, we don't retain how many of us have been in school? I think that's everybody. Raise your hands. How many of you have been in school? Did you study for test? Did Okay, now I may not want to know that answer. Some of y'all are laughing because, mm, anyways, um, in order to study for a test, you have to have notes. You have to write something down that the teacher is trying to teach you. Um, and I, as a pastor of this house, am the teacher of this house. So what am I trying to do? I'm trying to teach you so that you take this and you apply it today. Um, you know, it's sad because in, in the Christian faith, if, if someone from another religion were to come into a church and we say we believe in Jesus, and may, maybe we mention the name of Jesus, but we don't teach the teachings of Jesus, and, you know, they would probably think that Jesus was the worst teacher to ever live. Pastor Josiah, why do you say that? Because we feel the need to add on to what Jesus said all the time. We feel like our opinions are better. We feel like our thoughts are better. We feel like our politics are better. But we as Christians, why are we called Christians? Because we follow Jesus Christ. And if we don't know his teachings or what he said or how to apply them, we're not going to be very successful, prosperous Christians. So we're going to start with verse 13, which says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. So the first thing we have to understand when Jesus was saying this, in the ancient world, salt was highly valued. It was highly valued. They used it for many purposes, and we're going to get into these three up here. But the Greeks called salt divine, which is theon in Latin. And the Romans had a phrase in Latin, which is, there's nothing more useful than sun and salt. In the time of Jesus, salt was connected in people's minds with three special 
qualities. We have them up there. We're going to talk to them. First off, salt was connected with purity. The Romans and Jews said that salt was the purest of all things. Listen, because it came from the sun and it came from the sea. Right, and they worshiped the sea and the sun. So they held salt at a very high level of purity. They would even sacrifice it to their gods. So then, okay, if we as Christians are to be the salt of the earth, we must be the example of purity upon the earth. One of the characteristics of the world which we live in, listen, is lowering standards. Lowering standards. Lowering societal standards. Lowering morality standards. Lowering standards of marriage. Oh, no, marriage isn't sacred and bonding. Marriage is just whatever. You can get divorced as many times as you want. We, we lowered the standard of everything to make us feel better. And so all standards tend to be lowered. But the Christian person must uphold the standard. We must uphold the standard, but not only must we uphold it, we must set the standard. Do you understand that? We, as the salt of the earth, we set the standard for purity in the earth. So what does that mean? We must set the example of purity in speech, in conduct, and in thought. So we've been talking about how in this waiting season, everything we do matters. What we say matters. You're speaking life and death over your season. What you say, oh, this is a horrible season. Oh, I hate this season. Oh, this is the worst season. You're speaking death over your season. What we do in this season, the faithfulness of our actions matters. As my papa bleeds, Pastor Kenneth Bleeds always says, how you wait determines how long you wait. Our actions matter. Our deeds matter. Guess what, Christians? Your secret thoughts matter. Why? Because God hears everything that you think. Nothing is hidden from his eye. Nothing is hidden from his ear. It matters everything. So we listen, and it's easy to come into church and look like you got it all put together. It's easy to come into church and say the right thing and do the right thing. But what are you thinking in your mind? Are you thinking, oh, this pastor, he's so boring. Oh, why am I in church today? Church is the worst. What are you thinking in your minds? It matters. The Christian, listen, listen, the Christian cannot withdraw from the world, right? We're in the world, but we're not of the world. But we must, as James said, keep ourselves unstained from the world. We are in the world. We are an example to the world. We are showing the world how they need to live, showing them to the cross. But we are not a part of the world. James said, keep yourself unstained from the world. He never said withdraw. He never said disengage. He said, stay unstained from the world. So we, as the saw, as purity, we must set and maintain the standard of purity for the world. And you may say, wow, Pastor Josiah, that's a daunting task. We're all human. Yes, we are. But we have the Holy Spirit, the spirit of the living God, indwelling our mortal bodies, empowering us to show the way to the cross. Number two is salt was a preservative. In the ancient world, salt was the commonest of all preservatives. All right? It was used to keep things, listen, from going bad, food and such, and to hold putrefaction at bay. Right? So it's maintaining, it's preserving. So then salt preserves from corruption. If the Christian is to be the salt of the earth, listen, we must have a certain antiseptic influence in the world. When things come in contact with us, they cannot help but to be cleansed. They cannot help but to be preserved, to be renewed. 
The Christian, listen, must be the cleansing antiseptic in any society in which we happen to be. We must be the person who, by their presence, defeats corruption and makes it easier for others to be good. Do you hear that? We as Christians, y'all, when we go anywhere we go, listen, anywhere we go, when we step in a room, they should be able to sense a difference. Listen, y'all, I, I, got some, I got some rough friends. I got some rough friends. And listen, whenever I come around, do you know what they don't do? They don't act rough. They don't act rotten. You want to know why? Because they know I live to a standard, and you know what? That standard makes them feel bad about what they're doing. So the corruption they're living in isn't made good by me being a preservative in their lives. Come on now, y'all. I, I, I pray you're listening to this. Hmm. Number three, number three is flavor. But the greatest and the most obvious quality of salt is that salt lends flavor to things. Food without salt, listen, have y'all ever been to a restaurant and you got, for me, it's always grits. They never put salt in my grits. I go to, I love Cracker Barrel, y'all. I love Cracker Barrel. Every time I go to Cracker Barrel, I get breakfast. They never put any salt in my grits. So me naively just assuming that people would put salt in grits, who doesn't do that? I take a bite and I'm like, oh my what in the world? And it's bland. It's tasteless. It's just like grains in your mouth. Listen, Christianity is to life what salt is to food. Christianity lends flavor to life. But the world doesn't see it that way. And majority of Christians don't see it that way. Do, do, y'all, do y'all see me up here sometimes? Y'all, I'd be dancing during worship. I'm having a good old time with the Lord. But I see some people, and it's just like, now, and, I, and listen, I know everyone does not express themselves in the same way. People are extroverted. People are introverted. But you, you, you can see it in someone's face when, when the joy of the Lord is present, when the peace of the Lord is present, when the Holy Spirit is present upon them. You can see it. It's visibly different. Something's visibly different about them. But, you know, the world doesn't see the church or Christians as something that lends flavor. They see something that sucks the flavor out of life. Oh, I just want to have fun, man. I just want to party. I want to have a good old time. But if we are not there living as joyful, pleasant, happy, nice, pleasing, kind people in their presence, it's going to continue to be that way. You understand, you can never scare someone into loving God. You, you understand that? That's why, listen, yes, there is judgment. Like, you, y'all know me. When, I talk about it all the time. I'm not, I'm not some feel-good preacher. And there is wrath. And there are consequences for sin. But we in the church have stood here and said, you're going to hell for sinning without explaining anything about that. We have preached hellfire and brimstone expecting people to run to the cross instead of preaching the goodness of the cross and not exemplifying how we have crossed from death to life. We still look like corpses in the sanctuary sometimes. Why would someone want to join a graveyard? When the party down the road looks like a garden, why would you want to go to the graveyard that looks like... Do you understand what I'm saying? We are to be radiant in our faith, radiant in our joy, even in the hard seasons when it doesn't make any sense. How many of us are going through a season that doesn't make much sense? We can't reason it out. We cannot come with a human understanding to resolve the situation. But who in here has joy? Who in here has peace? We must exemplify that to the world and add flavor to the world. Dang, I'm preaching a little bit today. I'm I'm just saying, y'all. 
It's getting real in here today. Y'all better be ready. Whew. Listen, I, I don't usually preach from paper, so I'm like, what's happening over here? Anyways, listen, people, the world needs to discover the lost radiance of the Christian faith. Do you know that early church history, we're talking like 50 years after Jesus, when there, there was this huge, oh, yo, I can't remember the emperor. You can look this up. I mean, Christians were being massacred by the thousands in Rome, by the thousands. Christians were being hunted down under this emperor and being massacred by the thousands. And do you know what they would be doing whenever they were being marched to the pit where the lions were about to eat them? They would be singing and praising God even while they were dying. Y'all, the Romans, it made no sense to them. They were stabbing them, and these men were singing praises to God while being stabbed to death. And it didn't make any sense to them. Do you understand the radiance of Christianity, the radiance of our faith, is that no matter the situation, we have peace. No matter the situation, we have joy. It, listen, in a worried world, the Christian should be the only person who remains serene. If you are around unsaved people all the time and you're acting a fool, what example are you being? In your workplace, when everyone else around you is stressed and talking bad about one another, how are you conducting yourselves? When that project doesn't make any sense, when your boss is blaming you, how do you react to that? When your coworkers in the same department as you are losing their minds and freaking out, oh, I'm going to quit, this is horrible, are you joining in or are you saying, guys, let's get the job done? How are you conducting yourself? In a depressed world, listen, because we live in a depressed, confused world, the Christian should be the only person who remains full of joy. Should be, listen, if no one else has joy, if no one else has peace, it should be you. Do you understand that? Not, not many workplaces are filled with Christians. If you're the only one there, you need to be the example. Listen, I'm tired of the excuse. I'm only human. Yeah, me too. Me too, fam. But I still try. But, but I still try. You understand that? Saying I'm just human is not an excuse to live however you want to live in front of the unsaved world. There's a standard we are to set and a standard we are to maintain. Who in here has been a manager or a boss, anything like that nature? Yeah? You understand how you start is what you have to maintain. If you set a really high standard for your employees and yourself, there's an expectation that you maintain that same level throughout your tenure there. If your boss, your employer, holds you to a standard, how much more do you think your Lord and Savior who died for you? Last time I checked, your employer writes a check, right? They give you money. Last time I checked, Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins so that you may be saved and have eternal life. Which one's more important? Come on now, y'all. Y'all just happy a minute ago. What's happening? Stepping on some toes? My bad. Not really. Listen, there should be something visibly different about us. And y'all are smiling a lot more today. Thank you. My goodness. Sometimes I feel like I gotta like poke y'all to make y'all get any reaction out of y'all. I'm gonna carry one of those little fire pokers around. Stoke the fire in you guys. Get it? Get it? Ha, ha. God, come on, man. Work with me. Y'all get this type of comedy for free. Come on now. <laughs> Listen, wherever we are, if we are to be the salt of the earth, we must diffuse joy no matter what situation we're in. Do you understand? Adding flavor, we're adding the goodness of God to the world around us. And that, I don't know why in prayer this morning, this analogy popped in my head. It was like, 
a, a Glade plug-in. Why do you put in a Glade plug-in? Because it diffuses a good scent into the air, right? We, no matter what situation we're in, we are meant to be like a Glade plug-in. Wherever we are, we are constantly diffusing joy. We're constantly diffusing peace. And when those who come around us who don't have joy or peace leave having joy and peace. You understand, last week when we talked about the Beatitudes, we are meant to be a people who the posture of our heart is to create peace and to maintain peace. Do we understand how all Jesus' teachings just kind of flow perfectly? But if, if, if y'all, if, if, if I were to do the disjustice of going through the Sermon on the Mount in three weeks, y'all would not have gotten like any of this. So praise God, the Holy Spirit is leading us into something deeper. Listen, Jesus goes on to finish up about the salt by saying, this is finishing up, verse 13. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Listen, salt never actually loses its flavor, but what would happen, they speculate because salt was used for so many different purposes. They speculate that in, in their um, heating houses, such as for bathing, um, steam houses, but also um, where they would cook like the giant places for the king, they would put salt under the floor because it retains heat. So it, it would keep the place hot. So often when it, would, when it would burn up, they would take it and throw it in the road and it would be trampled upon. So, but no matter, no matter, listen, no matter what the picture is of this, we have to understand, uselessness invites disaster. Listen to that. Uselessness invites disaster. Listen, if a Christian is not fulfilling our purpose as a Christian, listen, then we are on our way to disaster. Hear me out. We are on our way to disaster. We are not fulfilling what we were called to do. If we are meant to be the salt of the earth, and if we do not bring to life the purity, the antiseptic power, the radiance that we ought to, then we invite disaster. There's a reason we're compared to salt and why it has so many purposes, because we are meant to be a dynamic people, living dynamic lives for a dynamic kingdom of God. It's a very dynamic concept. So how many of us have read the Sermon on the Mount? How many of us have skimmed over it like a million times? <laughs> I'm so guilty of that. But when we dig into this more and more, we see how Jesus, literally every single one of Jesus' teachings throughout his entire time on this earth was fully connected in every single way. So when we dive deeper into this, we understand, once again, to finish up on salt, we are meant to be the salt of the earth. And if we do not bring to life the purity, the antiseptic power, the radiance that we ought, then we invite disaster. We are meant to be a useful people functioning for the power and will of God. Moving on to the light of the world, verses 14 and 15. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. But listen, before we get into this pause, I just, I just thought from this commentary I was reading. Um, Y'all, literally, last night, I'm not joking, around 11, 11, 11 p.m., I was already in the bed. The Holy Spirit rearranged my plans for this whole thing, and I was up to like three reading commentaries. I'm talking, I got a whole bunch of commentaries, like, my gosh, my, my brain kind of hurts this morning. Um, but so with the salt, talking about how when we throw out the salt, when it's not useful anymore, the, the early church and the Jewish synagogue, listen to this, when you would become apostate, so you would leave the faith, right? You leave the faith. And if you wanted to come back to the faith, y'all, this is wild, listen to me. When you wanted to come back to the faith, to prove that you were serious about this, you would have to lay in the doorway to the church or the synagogue and say, I am useless salt, trample on me. And people would literally have to step over you to show that you were serious and remorseful for your actions. How crazy is that? 
How many of us would have the humility? Now, listen, I'm not saying we're doing that. That's wild. I mean, in, in, never mind. I'm not even getting into that. But listen, they would have to lay down in front of the doorway and say, I am useless salt. Trample upon me. And people would literally step over them. How serious is that? Like, we, we hear the teachings of Jesus and we think it's nothing, but the early church literally took Jesus' teaching and said, all right, if someone, if someone becomes unuseful and apostate and leaves the faith, if they want to come back, they have to admit that they were useless salt. Like, how crazy is that? How many of us would admit right now that we are useless salt? And, and some of us may very well be useless salt right now. That, that's a hard fact you have to realize in your own heart. And listen, I'm not calling you useless salt. You need to work that out with the Lord. So don't say, oh, Pastor Josiah called me useless salt. No, please don't take offense to that. You, you work that out with the Lord. All right, the light of the world. We see that there are three purposes to what Jesus was saying. First off, we have to understand that in, in these small Palestine, Jerusalem houses, they had one window in the whole house. If, if a window at all, y'all, these are just little stone buildings, if not usually clay. And y'all, the window was about this big, about eight, 18 inches, maybe about that big. There was one window in the whole house. So when they would light a lamp, and listen, y'all, this stuff was expensive to even have a lamp. Usually people went to bed as soon as the sun went down because what else are you going to do? You can't see anything. And this stuff is expensive. So what they would do is every time they would light that lamp, they would make sure it was purposeful, right? There was a purpose behind them lighting this expensive lamp. So it may well be said that this is the greatest compliment. Listen, this is the greatest compliment that was ever paid to an individual Christian for in it, Jesus commands the Christian to be what he himself claimed to be, the light of the world. Jesus said, listen, in John chapter 9, verse 5, As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When Jesus commanded his followers to be the lights of the world, he demanded nothing less than that they should be like himself. And you want to tell me we want to use the excuse of I'm just a human? When Jesus said, be the light of the world, holding us to the same standard as himself. Whoo, come on now, y'all. We, 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 some of us have been playing this Christian game for too long. It got too easy for us. Listen, when Jesus spoke these words, he was using an expression which was quite familiar to the Jews who heard him say it for the first time. They themselves, speaking of the Jews, spoke of Jerusalem as a light to the Gentiles. A light to the Gentiles. And famous rabbis were often called a lamp of Israel. But the way in which the Jews used this expression will give us a key, listen, to the way in which Jesus also used it. Of one thing the Jews are very sure, no person can kindle their own light. When they said they were a light to the Gentiles, it's because they had Yahweh, their God, guiding them, right? They were showing the Gentiles the right way to live. And when a rabbi was teaching the things of God, shining light upon the teachings of God, he was called a lamp to Israel. Listen, Jerusalem was indeed a light to the Gentiles, but God lit Israel's lamp. Do you understand that? They understood when Jesus said a light to the world, they understood this concept. So to us, right, it's a, it's a little confusing because we have electricity, right? So light is nothing to us. To them, this was very impactful, very serious to them. And they understood what Jesus was saying. And listen, that's why I'm giving background, right? For us to understand how they would have understood this. The light with which the nation or person of God shone was a borrowed light. It wasn't their own. They understood that it was the light of God manifesting through them. It must be so with us as Christians. We're not kindling our own lights. On Wednesday, I talked about um, Isaiah chapter 50, verses 10 and 11, about the man who does not kindle his own light when there's darkness, but he waits upon the Lord. We are not a people who kindle our own light, work in our own schemes, work in our own programs, try to figure out by ourselves, but we rely on the Lord. We must shine with the reflection of his light 
the radiance which shines from the Christian comes from the presence of Christ within the Christian's heart. Do we understand that? Anytime we do anything actually good, not, not with deceitful um, ambitions, whenever we do anything that's good, that is Christ shining through us. It's not ourselves. So this light that Jesus is saying being, he's saying, no, don't rely on yourself. You're not good. Jesus even said no one is good but God. Even speaking of himself, he said no one is good but God. So he's putting the standard of understanding. When he said light of the world, they would have clearly understood that this light was not a man manifesting his own deeds. This was a man manifesting the goodness of God out of his life, which can be clearly seen by the outside world. When Jesus said that Christians must be a light of the world, what did he mean? And we have up here the three purposes. Number one, a light is first and foremost something which is meant to be seen, right? That's, that's why my dad always fussed at me for leaving on lights at the house when no one was there, right? What's the point of having the light on if there's nowhere, no one to use the light? No one to use the light to see, to see the light. Listen, Christianity is something which is meant to be seen. This Christian life is not meant to be a private, secret Christian life. So for those of us who've been Christian for years and years and we've never shown our faith or shared our faith, that's a problem. That's a problem. That's a problem. As someone has well said, listen, I, I love this quote. There can be no such thing as secret discipleship. All right, there's no such thing as secret discipleship. For either the secrecy destroys the discipleship, right? Because if you keep it in secret, you're, you're probably just going to flee from it because you're going to go pursue other things you're actually proud of. So the secrecy destroys the discipleship. Or listen, or the discipleship destroys the secrecy. There's only two options when you keep it secret. One, you're going to leave it. Or two, you're going to pursue it and leave everything else behind. The person's Christianity should be perfectly visible to all men, to all people. In your workplace, in your home, in your family, it is to be seen. You are to exemplify the Christian life. Further, this Christianity should not be visible only within the church. What? That's what you're saying. This isn't a Sunday religion? What? No, we said that a million times. A Christian, listen, a Christian whose effects stop at the church door is not much use to anyone. You're not much use to anyone. If you're only a Christian in this room, in these chairs, you're not much use. So what does that mean about you as salt? Not, not, not much use to anyone. It should be even more visible in the ordinary activities of life. You understand, you should exemplify your Christian life in everything. What did I say? Everything you say, so how, how you respond to people. Everything you do, how you react to people. And everything you think in your mind that you think is hidden. Nothing is hidden before the Lord. It all matters. This Christian life should be exemplified before others even more. Do you hear that? Your Christian life should be exemplified even more outside these doors than it is in these doors. Our Christianity should be visible in every aspect of our lives. I posted a quote by, um, who's it, D.L. Moody yesterday that said, if you do not treat your wife right, don't talk to me about Christianity. Woo, come on now. If you do not treat your wife right, do not talk to me about Christianity. Come on now, y'all. It, it's, it's every aspect of your life. We can't pick and choose. And I believe that's why we see the world, well, the Christ, Christendom in the world today is because we have pick, picked and choose where we want to be Christian and where we don't want to be Christian. We like the concept of not going to hell, but we don't like the concept of actually having to listen to what he said and do it. We, we, like, we like the concept of exemption and escape, but we don't like the concept of devotion and discipline. Oh, hold up. Hold up now, y'all. Holy Spirit's working. Listen to me. We like the easy part of Christianity, which is passive faith, right? Jesus, you died on the cross. I received that. We don't like the responsibility of active faith where now we got to step out and actually do something. Mm, come on now, y'all. 
Y'all about to get me worked up in here. Mm. Jesus did not say you are the light of the church, did he? He said you are the light of the world. And in a person's life, in the world, their Christianity should be evident to all. It is to be seen, not hidden. Number two, a light is a guide. A light is a guide. A light is something to make clear the way. Listen, when Ezra wakes up, my son, oh, y'all, by the way, I'm having like my baby withdrawals. They've been gone for two days, and I'm like, it's weird. I don't like it. I keep texting my wife, y'all got to come home. I, I don't like the bachelor life, man. It's not for me. I need my wife and my son home. But in the, in the middle of the night, when Ezra's screaming, and Serena's like, go get your baby, because I'm like, all right, fine. I pick up my cell phone, and I turn on my flashlight. The light shows the way to the path to get where I need to go. Does that make sense? So a light is something to make clear the way. And I just want to talk about my son. That was just an excuse to talk about my baby, just because I miss him. Um, so then we as Christians must make clear, sorry, make the way clear to others. We understand that Christians must make the way, right? Because broad is the road to destruction, narrow is the path to salvation. That is to say that as Christians, it is a necessity. Listen, it is a necessity to live a life that is an example of the correct way. Because we are the guides. You understand? We are the guiding lights to the cross. There are many people in this world who have not the moral strength, listen, and courage to take a stand by themselves, okay? Y'all, the world, the, the world we live in is full of bullies. But you know what the sad part is? It's just social media bullies. These people, if you were to see them face to face, they'd probably run for the hills, man. We, but the thing is, the sad part is we live in a very divided world, a very isolated world because of COVID right now. So your main interactions are on social media, right? We live in a world full of bullies where people are scared to stand for what matters. Y'all, I've been attacked on social media more times than I can count at this point. My gosh, I always got somebody coming at me. I'm like, what did I do to you? But listen, we got a bunch of bullies, a bunch of, um, what do they call them? Keyboard warriors, right? Got a bunch of keyboard warriors, and people are afraid to take a stand and say what needs to be said, right? They, they're afraid to be attacked. But can I tell you right now, they need Christians to step up to guide the way. They need Christians who do not care what this world says about the faith, about Jesus, about the word, and we need to show them the correct way to live. We as Christians have to be bold in the way we guide people. We have to be the ones who take a stand when no one else will. It is the Christian's duty to take the stand which the weaker brother, weaker Christian, right? Because not all of, not all of us have the same. We've talked about this. Not all of us are equal. Some of us stand stronger than others. Some struggle with other things. But we must take the stand that the weaker, probably not a good term, but the less confident in their faith will follow. You understand, sometimes people are just looking for a strong leader. Not everyone's a leader. Not everyone's called to be a leader. Sometimes the followers are just looking for a leader willing to take a stand, and they will follow. The world needs its guiding lights. We understand that? The world needs us, y'all. The world, my gosh. There are people waiting, listen, waiting and longing for a leader to take the stand and to do the thing which they do not dare do themselves. The, y'all, the world is waiting, y'all. Listen, I have a lot of friends who are like on, on the borderline of Christianity, not Christianity, but they're looking for something to follow. They're looking for leaders. Y'all, why do you think these movements have exploded in our country that are so contrary to the word of God? Because they have strong leaders with strong ideals and concepts that have stepped up and those people were willing to follow a strong leader. They were willing. It doesn't matter if it's a good cause or a bad cause. We see that throughout all of history. If a strong leader rises up, people will follow. 
I'm not talking about someone claiming to be a leader. I'm talking about a genuine leader. When a genuine leader stands up, people will follow that leader wherever he goes with whatever he says. Why? Because they buy into the concept. They buy into the ideals. Christians, a lot of y'all are strong leaders. We must step up in the world around us for people to follow. Everything we say, do, and think matters. People are looking for someone to take. Listen, I'm not talking about taking a stand on Facebook or sharing something. I'm talking about real-life stances. Non-conformity to the world. Truly being resolute in your heart to do what the Scripture tells us to do. Number three, a light can often be a warning light. It is sometimes that we as Christians, our duty is to bring a warning to our friends, to bring a warning to our family, to bring a warning to our church, to bring a warning to anyone that we are involved with. And it's not always easy. It's usually uncomfortable to have to do that. Listen, but here's the key. If our warnings are given, not in anger, not in irritation, not in criticism, not in condemnation, not in the desire to hurt, but in love, the warnings will be effective. I have friends who are, who are not believers, who don't want anything to do with the scriptures. But when I come to them with a warning, not saying, oh, I'm a Christian, you're evil, you're a sinner, you're horrible. But when I come to them saying, bro, I genuinely care about you, and I'm really worried about the path you're on, they will heed that warning. I promise you they will. Do you understand? The way we approach people, the way we interact with people matters. Y'all, the, the person you interact with at the grocery store, the person you interact with at the restaurant today matters. If you come in here claiming the blood of Jesus over your life, but you leave and you're rude to your waitress, I don't want to hear you talk about Christianity. I'm tired of the lip service of Christianity. Y'all, I've been in the church my entire life. If anyone knew how to play the church game, it was me. I was the master at it. I knew what I was doing. So you can understand when I truly entered from death to life, and I truly believed this whole Christianity thing and truly walked into it, you can probably understand I was sick and tired of the games. And I, I can tell when someone's playing the game, y'all, because I played the game. You, you, you understand like how a basketball coach, football coach, they, use, they probably played the game before they became a coach. Y'all, I can see it from a mile away. I'm like a coach in this junk. I can see when people are playing these games. I'm tired of the lip service. Y'all, what we do, everything we do matters. When are we going to understand that as Christians is we cannot come in here on a Sunday morning and just claim Christianity for the rest of the week when we are walking the complete opposite. We look rotten, but we're claiming righteousness. What is that telling to the world? Why do you think we have a world that is sick and tired of Christianity? Do you understand how many of these like, great philosophers of our day who are just wackos are claiming that the world would be better without Christianity in it? Claiming that Christianity, and y'all, y'all, these are the voices to our leaders in this nation, claiming that Christianity is a cancer to the United States of America. It's bigoted, it's racist, it's horrible, it's evil. Look how it judges people. Well, if no, if some, who's going to hold the world to a standard of living? First off, how is the Bible racist? Y'all, this Bible was not written for white people. You understand that? Y'all, Christianity first went to the Middle East and Africa. You understand? Ethiopia has the, one of the oldest churches still standing today. Don't tell me the Bible is racist. And don't tell me it's bigoted. It gave women rights before women ever had rights in the world. Y'all, stop listening to the lies. Young people, hey, young people, hey, young people, stop listening to the lies of social media, man. They are not telling you the truth. They are telling you an opinion that is highly biased. Highly, y'all, they don't care about you. 
You understand when they spew these lies and this deceit, they don't care about you. They care about their agenda that's being achieved. Listen, if we are to be the light, the light which can be seen, the light which warns, the light which guides, these are the lights which the Christian must be. These are the lights which Christians must be, to be seen, to guide, and to warn when necessary. All right, moving on to verse 16. This will be finishing us up, verse 16. Shining for God, verse 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Shining for God. Now listen, there's, there's, two, boom, there's, there's two important things about this, all right? People are to see our good deeds. We're talking about Christianity being visible. Like Pastor Betty in the outreach ministry, people visibly see them giving food to the needy, giving food to those who need it. People visibly see when our truck ministry goes out and helps people, they visibly see these good works. In Greek, listen, there are two words for good. All right, so listen, y'all, in the Greek, there's multiple words for everything. Um, I mean, just like in other languages, it's not much different. Two words for good. There's the word agathos, which simply defines a thing as good in quality. All right, saying, wow, that cheeseburger was so good. That was a great quality cheeseburger, agathos, all right? There is kalos, which means that a thing is not only good, but that it is also captivating, beautiful, and attractive. The word which is used here is kalos. Our deeds, what we do for God, what we do for God must be captivating, beautiful, and attractive. And when we do that in a genuine, sincere heart, it always is. It always is. The deeds we do must not only be good, but they must be done with a genuine heart, which will then be attractive and appealing to others, which will draw them in. Now, listen, y'all, I, I had the weirdest, weirdest interaction at the, the gas station, okay? So there's there a homeless man outside. Y'all, I usually would not share this story, but this was such a weird interaction that I have to share. There's this homeless man, and it has nothing to do with him, this other lady. This homeless man was sitting by the gas station asking for money. I said, sir, I literally don't have any cash, but I can go get you some Gatorades. Y'all, this was hot. I'm talking this was like back in... July. It was hot outside. He was outside. You can tell he was burning up. I said, I can buy you Gatorade and some food. So I went inside, and this lady comes in basically announcing to the world that she's buying stuff for this homeless man. Oh, you're buying stuff for him too? Oh, we're just, the, we're good people. And she's like screaming it. Literally, no, y'all screaming it. The world needs more people like us screaming it in, in this big old convenience store. I'm like, I don't know her. Like, I'm like, what? Because I take it very, very seriously when Jesus talks about giving to the needy. I take it very seriously when Jesus talks about don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. I take that very seriously. So y'all, she shamed the ever-living life out of me. And y'all, listen, I don't get embarrassed. I don't get awkward. But I take the words of Jesus at such a high standard. When she did that, I don't know if I've ever been that much much uncomfortable in my life. Because now in my mind, I'm like thinking, Jesus, like, do I need to stop doing this now? Because I'm like freaking out because I want to be pleasing to him in all things. So when I'm going to help someone who's in need... I don't want a woman basically standing there with a blowhorn announcing what we're doing. <laughs> so look at the posture, the difference in the posture of the heart there. Do, do you understand what I'm saying? Do you understand why I'm sharing this story? Because when we do attractive works that are seen, we don't have to say a word for the world to see what we're doing. We just do it because that's what we're commanded to do. So I've often been very discreet about getting this man some food and some drinks. 
But then here comes in this woman announcing to the world what we're doing. Do we understand the difference in the heart? What is pleasing there? The person who discreetly does it where no one knows and they're doing a good deed for the Lord to be seen. Listen, I wasn't doing it for the world to see. I was doing it for this man to see the love of Jesus working through me. I wanted this man to know that God loves him even though he's homeless and has nothing. I wanted him to know God loves him and will provide for him even when it doesn't make sense. I don't know that man's situation. I don't know why he's homeless. It could have been no fault of his own. I don't know. But I simply wanted to show the love of Jesus. And when our heart is in that posture of literally being embarrassed when people announce it, when we have that posture of the heart, it's always going to be attractive. And it's always going to be pleasing, not just to God, but to others too, when they see how you're interacting. Simply doing deeds that are considered good are not always done with a genuine heart. You can be cold, listen, you can be cold and mean to people and still do good deeds, which causes people to run from you instead of run to you. This is why how we interact with one another matters. Do you understand when Jesus literally, when they were going to stone Jesus, Jesus didn't even say a word to them. Multiple times, we're reading through the book of John in our men's group. Multiple times they went to stone Jesus, were yelling at him, and Jesus just walked past them. Even when people attack you, even when people persecute you, it matters how you react and how you interact. So even though we're doing good deeds, if you're being rude and mean and unkind to people, that's causing them to run from you instead of run to you, a.k.a. run to you so you can show them the way to the cross. Number two, our good deeds, listen, should draw attention. They should draw attention, but not to us, not to us, but to God. This saying of Jesus is a total prohibition of what some call theatrical goodness. What is that? Goodness that the world sees. You ain't doing it unless someone's seen you. Listen, I talked to the youth group about this. Did I not? When we talked, we talked about doing good deeds, doing things for others, but making sure we're not doing a show out of it. We talked about how all their little friends you'll see on social media do good deeds, but someone's got to be there to take a picture. Someone's got to be there to take a video. That is theatrical goodness. You're not doing that for God. You're doing that for yourself. Putting on a show and doing good works to draw attention to yourself. The goodness which we are conscious of, which draws attention to ourselves, is not Christian goodness. You understand? That's not goodness. That is not the goodness of God. You're not even showing them anything towards God. You can say, oh, all for the glory of God, but you're eating up the praises. How many times have I heard a pastor get a compliment? Oh, all for the glory of God. And then I see him acting completely contrary to what he just said. Oh, did you hear how good my sermon was? Oh, did you hear how good I was? No. None of this is for me. None of this is for anyone but God himself. The only glory deserved is to God himself. The true Christian, as true Christians, we are striving to never, listen, to be, sorry, my, my notes are jibbed up. Y'all, listen, this was at 3 a.m. when I wrote this, so forgive me. I literally can't understand what that says. Can someone interpret real quick? <laughs> Y'all, that sentence makes no sense. I'm like, it's like backwards and then something's over here. I don't. Oh, Lord God. Moving on. Lord bless my heart. I got to stop laughing, y'all. I, I know that's the joy. I needed that this morning. That's the joy of the Lord. Listen. All right. Y'all, when I get tickled, sometimes I can't stop. Listen, okay. 15-minute intermission. Give me a second. Hey, you stop talking or I really will laugh. 
I, I want to hear your voice. I want to see you get out, get out of this building. Now she's laughing. Oh, God, help me, Jesus. I'm going to lose it for everybody. We needed to laugh today, y'all. My heavens. Okay, thank, I got this. There's like two more, there's like two more things. So as long as Christians are thinking of the praise, the thanks, and the prestige which they will get, right? What comes to us, the prestige, the thanks, the thoughts of people coming towards us for what they have done, for what we have done right in the, in the goodness of God, for God, they have not really even begun on the Christian way. So if you have a Christian been Christian 20, 30, 40 years, and everything they're doing is for God, but really like they're eating that up, like they love that attention, they haven't even begun on the Christian way. Why? Why? Because for me to live is Christ. It's not even you anymore. If you are a genuine Christian, this isn't, this, this isn't even you anymore. You don't belong to yourself. You don't own yourself. Christ is, owns you. You belong to Christ. So if we have the posture of heart, we haven't even begun on the Christian way, so you need to reassess your heart. All that to say this, closing out. We are to preserve and show the ways and works of God before the world for the glory, honor, and praise of God and God alone. That's the conclusion. As simple as that, all, all that time to bring it to that point. But I, I, really felt, I really felt in my spirit that we need, to, we need to look deeper at this passage. I need to look deeper at this passage. We truly needed to understand what it meant to be the salt and light. So one more time, we are to preserve and show the ways and works of God before the world for the glory, honor, and praise of God and God alone. It's all for him. It all points to him. And how we live matters. Are you useful salt or are you useless salt? Are you a lamp that is covered or are you a lamp that is exposed to your family, to your friends? And why is your light shining? Why? Why are you shining your light? Are you shining that attention would be drawn to you or attention drawn to the Father? And what did we talk about last week in the eight Beatitudes? It's all about the posture of your heart. Right? It's all about the posture of your heart, analyzing your heart, analyzing your conduct. And I believe that's the end. I told you that's a small PowerPoint. That's the end of it. But you know what? I've been encouraged today. Last, last week was kind of rough. Last week was tough. I feel, like, I feel like everyone was just going through something really hard last week. I don't know what that spirit was. I did not appreciate it, though. Um, I, I'm about casting some demons out of here or something. Like, be gone in the name of Jesus. I don't know what was going on. I want to end in worship. I want to do that first song we did talking about victory even before we can see it, worshiping God even when the times make no sense. Y'all, like I said, we're going through a lot right now. I hope that teaching meant something to you because it meant something to me. Even though I'm running on like five hours of sleep, I'm worn out, that meant something to me. I needed that. Studying that last night, obviously the Holy Spirit knew I needed it. So that, that's session one of the Sermon on the Mount and something the Lord's been putting on my heart. We should always end our time together in praise. We should always because our praise sets the tone for our week. Our praise sets the tone for the season we're going through. So we're going to sing that first song. Y'all, y'all please stand.
that message today church I said church how awesome was that message today hallelujah uh, one of the things I was reminded of when pastor was talking about being the salt of the earth was when his grandfather was actually preaching that message when I was little and he probably wasn't even thought about and how all of a sudden our church just took off because it just kind of clicked uh, but he was talking about how this whole world is always looking for someone to follow they're looking for leaders and it kind of reminded me because one of the things that we're always talking about in psychology and in sales is people will follow people that's a leader. I can even remember as a child when my mama said, Mark, come here, boy, and had a belt in her hand. And I'd follow her, going to go get it. Knew what I was going to go get, but I would follow her anyway because I knew what was about to happen. The same thing happens in, in anything. People will follow people if you just say, follow me. They're looking for reasons to follow. They're looking for something to follow. And we, as a church, must give the world a reason to follow us. Every day I go to work, I speak to every single employee from the front to the back. I shake their hand. Uh, the guys, they all appreciate it. I walk to the back. I walk to detail. I walk over and I make sure I speak to our custodian. And then I come back and I get my day started. Well, a couple days started, went by. And I, we got so busy, we had some meetings, and I didn't get an opportunity to do it. The guy from detail came up all the way from the back of the store, comes up and says, man, you didn't come speak to me today. I said, man, I, I apologize. I really do, man. I said, we just got so busy. I apologize, and it didn't happen. He said, it's okay. Don't let it happen again. Then the custodian comes up to me, and he says, Mark, what, what's going on? You didn't speak to me. I said, brother, I said, again, I apologize. I've had meetings since I walked in the door this morning. It, it's nothing against you. I love and appreciate everything you do, and I really appreciate it. He said, I just want to let you know, I look forward to seeing you every day. He said, because there's something different about you. He said, you, you radiate when you walk through the building. 
And that was the biggest testimony from the custodian, not someone I work with every day, but the custodian that I could ever think of. And it reminds me of what he is saying. We as the church must impact people that we are around. You don't have to walk about, you're going to you get sanctified or get French fried. You don't have to say that. They just have to see the difference in you. And when they see the difference in you, they say, what is it about that guy? What is it about that woman? What is it about that young lady? Because when they start seeing that, that's when you can go into them and say, let me tell you what, what's, what's really going on. Because Jesus, Jesus hung out with people all the time that were not Christians. <laughs> all the time he was hanging out with them. And even the, the Pharisees were always saying, why? Why are you hanging out with them? Why are you hanging out with those people? They're not like us. And Jesus said, do you need to hang out with people who are well? Or do you hang out with, does a doctor hang out with people who are sick? We need to hang out with those people and invite them in, people. Invite them in. Keep being the salt like our pastor's pre preaching about. Keep being that salt because you don't have to keep saying and putting on social media and everything. They'll see the difference in you. Look at this church today. We got new faces around this house. Praise God, we got new faces. And hallelujah. And it's getting better and better. And I'm starting to see people just coming down around the altar. Nobody's begging you to come out. It's just happening. It's because you want to be more of that salt. So, God, I want to thank you today for what you're doing in this house today, Father. God, I thank you for the, the word that our pastor brought forth. And I thank you for the impact that it's making in our lives. Now, Father God, I pray and ask that as we leave this house today, Father God, that we leave impacted and impacting people around us, impacting jobs around us, impacting friends around us, impacting relatives around us. Father, I pray and ask that that salt will radiate through our children and through our grandchildren, that they see the difference of Jesus Christ in us. God, I pray and ask that as we walk the streets of Columbia, South Carolina, that people will notice a difference about us, that we will radiate with your glory. Now, Father God, I pray and ask today that as we leave today, let us leave changed. Do not let us leave here like we came in Jesus' name. But, Father God, let us leave a newfound person with a newfound strength and a newfound purpose, Father. God, I pray and ask that as we walk through these gates and walk down the streets, Father God, that people will say, I want to be like them. Whatever they are on, I want to follow them. I want to see what they're about. I want to see what's going on in their lives because I want some of that. So, God, I pray and ask that you will bless this church, bless the online church. God, I pray and ask that these doors one day will not be able to contain the blessings that's going to be pouring out of here. God, I pray and ask that one day we have to keep the doors open so that people can sit out not only in the hallways but in the gym as well because we have to pipe it in because they want to see what a difference is going on. So, Father God, we, don't, we call things as not as though they were. So, God, bless this church indeed, Father enlarge our territories. Keep your hand of protection about us. Keep us from evil that will harm us not. And let every single thing that we do, every single thing that we do, give you praise, glory, and honor. In Jesus' name we pray. The church said, Amen. 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 Pastor Betty, you have food across the street? Food across the street in the activity center. Receive a blessing. We are dismissing by COVID protocol, so I believe the ushers are going to come up. First Touch Ministry and dismiss. Um, we love you guys. We're praying for you guys. Listen, if I have not gotten the chance to speak to you like ever or talk, are you talking to me? Oh, 
If, if you'd go in the foyer, I'd love to come introduce myself and talk to you guys for a second. We love you guys. We're praying for you guys. Hope you have a fantastic week. Once again, Ms. Frances Boggs' funeral is at 11 a.m. tomorrow morning.